to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. This is Chris. And this is Kate. How are you doing, Kate? I'm surviving with a bit of a summer cold, but otherwise things are flowing along very nicely. It's, um, what is it, midsummer here in Berlin? I don't think and, it's midsummer, um, no, but I don't know. What's summer, June to June, July, August? I have no idea. We're, in the, we're nearly, nearly in the middle of July, so... Or maybe maybe a, a week off. <laughs> I have no idea. But earlier in sure. summer, we had a trip to Lithuania, um, to Vilnius and to Kaunas, thanks to a company called Telesoftus. Uh, well, an, an innovation house, a house of innovative ideas and projects Yeah, in, in Kaunas, which is just about, about an hour from Vilnius. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've written a fair, f- well, we're going to be producing and have produced a fair few items of content from that trip. That's right. And in this episode, we are going to focus specifically on the company themselves, Telesoftus. Um, and I guess we add the disclaimer that they did sponsor the trip, but uh, we will still give very honest and blunt opinions. Mm. Uh, that sounds like we're just going to be very critical, but actually we're not. <laughs> They're a very interesting company. And I think that's very kind of the aspects we want to discuss. Um, so we'll jump straight into that. Um, so I guess what were your initial impressions of the company first, Kate? And then we'll dig into some of the excerpts of interviews to, to, uh, to highlight that. Okay. So I think Telesoftus's main priority was software development. Uh, and they are led by a larger than life, rather charismatic CEO who, um, had some very unique kind of, um, perspectives that embedded, um, into the company and how they, they mission orientated the, I guess, the wellness and the happiness of the staff. And that's something that really sunk into me because it showed that it wasn't just about, you know, having beer every Friday or having a, a pool table or a hockey table in a workplace. It was actually looking a deeper in how they could uh, introduce and maintain the, the quality of and the, I guess, the, the value of the staff by keeping them engaged. Mm-hmm. I think let's 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 start at the beginning. Let's play an excerpt from our interview with aforementioned CEO. Uh, hopefully, we'll get the pronunciation right here. Algirdas. Yes. I feel like they, they were pronouncing slightly differently, but that's about the closest I can get. <laughs> um, about how the company started in the first place. Oh, hello. Uh, I am Algirda Stonis, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur from Baltic states, Lithuania, Kaunas. Um, yeah, actually, I am the founder, and I am as well chief executive officer of Telesoftus. And Telesoftus is um, one of top 50 fastest growing companies in Central Europe. It's actually a statistic that um, uh, was is reported by Deloitte Research Agency last year in 2017. So I've seen growth of Telesoftus from two people to 207 people, <laughs> from having uh, like uh, no customers at all to serving 700 billion people all around the world. <laughs> and how, how would you say you've done that? I mean, it's, it's been 15 years? Yeah. It's uh, this July, we're going to celebrate 15 years anniversary. Actually, July is going to be uh, 
1st of July 2003 was the date when I got I disembarked the ferry to Copenhagen and started my internship at a company called Human making uh, navigations and location based services apps for Nokia Communicator oh, back yeah, in yeah, the yeah. day <laughs> so that was the start so I July the 1st is a disembarkment <laughs> day <laughs> most of our listeners probably don't know that much about Lithuania what would you like them to know about the tech scene in Lithuania well um, I think uh, what can Lithuanians be really proud of is that um, um, we have a lot of good engineering talent that is not only uh, about skill set but also Lithuanians are known ask any companies that have worked with Lithuanians and everybody would say probably the same that Lithuanians would be the most loyal employees the most hardworking employees like Lithuanians never complain never surrender they do the job and do the job until it's done properly and I think that's <laughs> that's our key factor and that's why Telesoftus is known in telecom sector so well uh, because of our portfolio of uh, customers we had including AT&T and Americas, British Broadcasting, Ferrari, you name it. <laughs> so, how, uh, how did you get there? How, how did you start getting clients like that? Uh, well, uh, as we started, like, uh, uh, everything happened accidentally, or maybe not. Maybe there was a pattern. As you know, like uh, I've mentioned to you before, that this company I've done internship, mm-hmm. and that was playing the kickstart of our company. Mm-hmm. It got acquired by Naftec. Obviously, when it got acquired by Naftec, Naftec got rid of all the outsourcing developers, mm-hmm. and we actually left without no jobs. We 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 had already six employees, and we literally uh, they took our jobs, and we had no uh, not much um, uh, contracts. We even didn't know English language very well, and but we were very good at Symbian. So back in the days, there was. Uh, a show called uh, Symbian Smartphone Show yeah. that was hosted in Excel Exhibition yeah. Center in London. So we just went there and we said, like, we program Symbian 110 euro per day. <laughs> like, we had like a very, very basic shell scheme exhibitor booth nine square meters like a one roll up and we were saying guys please buy <laughs> and actually nobody bought it because some people they were walking the same 110 euros per day maybe per hour you meant maybe you <laughs> nobody believed that the development can be so cheap in Eastern Europe and actually nobody bought anything from us but one of um, like uh, British uh, exhibitors uh, he was exhibiting with another company called Surf Kitchen they were based in Reading and they were making the 
like a first operator on device portals that would be that enabling mobile commerce yeah, yeah. for the first time <laughs> and uh, Marco Shea VP product developer said he was just walking by the show was over and they were leaving and he said no guys did you sell anything we said no we didn't sell anything and he told us oh come on uh, I'm gonna buy you a drink and <laughs> <laughs> It's where the real business happens yeah. in England, in England especially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same Australia, I think. I'd actually like. I mean, so you've been. So that's how we got, and they already yeah. had a relationship with all the major operators that would be Orange and yeah. uh, O2 at that time, and wow. so this is how we started. And of course, we started to. Um, like first, we enabled HTTP uh, protocol on mobile. We sold our libraries to companies. Kitchen in Reading, and then they introduced us to operators to do the customizations of their product. Oh. And this is how we got into telecom business. Yeah. We went oh. to Mobile World Congress with that. So it, it all started. So it all. Almost it fell down. <laughs> it was the last chance we used our last money to go to London to the show. Wow. <laughs> And it didn't pay off, but the, the drinking beers with British people paid off. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut the show. Yeah. Actually, that's not an un, that's not unusual. I've actually yeah. heard this um, recommendation for startups, particularly those that can't afford the more expensive events, to go to the side events mm. and, yeah. ne- and network there and and meet people that way. Yeah. So we visited Telesoftus in their office, uh, which was at a building called Blaster. Which, which just to clarify here, uh, and actually we will dig into some of these. This yeah. is um, Blaster is. And Telesoftus itself is four sub-companies. On the, on the sign I have in our photo, I see Adio Web, then Telesoftus, which is kind of general purpose agency, mostly focusing a lot on um, mobile-related software, mm. but not entirely. Sneakybox, which... I th- let's come back to Sneakybox a bit later. Yeah. And then Game On, which is a festival, which we will definitely come back to later. So that's the companies <laughs> under the same roof. Yeah, and what was interesting, I think, was that the building was formerly a shopping centre. Huh. So, we, you know, we, we have this talk and about the decline of the bricks and mortar and what do we do with these spaces. And this was a really good use of the space. because That it explains the escalators. Ah. Yeah, it did it really well. And so there were escalators, which was handy. It had a cafeteria on the top floor uh, for the staff and, and visitors, and it just felt very welcoming. I mean... You know, you go to a lot of open plan offices where, you know, you feel you're very much, as a visitor, um, gatekept, if, if you like, trying to get anywhere because there's lots of doors and locks and swipe cards and things like that. And you didn't get the feeling quite as much with this one. And there was a couple of things that really stuck out. I mean, firstly, it did have plenty of small offices that people could use, uh, whether they were permanent or temporary, rather than people having to just be in open plan all the time. Mm. So I think that's a deliberate move away from that. Secondly, it had... Um, a library of I'm, I'm looking at a fiction. photo of this right now, yeah. Yeah, uh, a library of science fiction. In several books, languages. <laughs> which I thought was kind of awesome. And it, and, and just, just some little things like um, in the kitchen there was a big photo board of everybody that worked there and 
their um, their name and, and where they're from or, and their title, I guess. And we have a and great photo of, of uh, Algirdas pointing this out, so we'll uh, make sure that's included in the... Yeah, <laughs> in, the, in the show notes. And they actually had a competition, every I think, every week or so that yeah. if you could remember who everyone was, you could win a prize. But what I guess what came across was a, a generosity of spirit, Um as a company, and maybe is it a good time to maybe talk a little bit about that a bit deeper in regard to the passion projects, Chris? Yeah, so actually, well, we won't talk about it. Let's uh, cut back to Algirdas talking about it um, and why he does it. And actually, some follow-up questions to that that we asked around how you you equate that with business value, how you equate that with just people just running off with crazy ideas, Focus, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Also in this section, you'll hear from the PR and marketing manager, Amelia. Um, the reason we've left this in is because I think she said something that's kind of relevant and, and interesting. So we, we, we wanted you to hear it. What drives Telesoftus forward, not only us here internally, not only why people are working here, but actually why our customers are working with us is because of our culture. Mm. It's like uh, what leaves them, they mm. still remember us because they remember good times mm. spent here. <laughs> and this is something that's really come out talking to people about the company, that you are kind of a leader that embraces a happy team and a happy work culture. Can you tell us a bit about how you're able to do that? Well, uh, I I wouldn't be able to tell you that one year ago, but like uh, we are evolving and Mm. we had like uh, recently many um, um, like Man, we had a chance to give a thought of why some things are happening mm. in the softest in one way, one way, not on the other way. Actually, there is even a research that is done in um, uh, London City University. It's called the Organization 4.0 or Organization a Teal Organization. Oh, yeah. Okay. They call it that um, uh, whether you have a traditional enterprise where you have shareholders that are elected the board, the board are electing CEO, the CEO is electing his team and the team is performing uh, assumingly very well um, wherever there is a TIL organization is that the company is, um, all the shareholders are employees and actually not um, having a share is not important anymore it's uh, your voice and your opinion is taken into account, actually you as any employee even uh, cleaning lady or PR lady or developer or quality assurance engineer they can actually influence the strategy of the company that would be for example if we have some engineer who is whose father is a radio network engineer and then the whole company is shaping to be radio network engineering company just to make this person happy <laughs> so, and uh, or we have some uh, guy who is passionate about virtual reality then we are deliberately shaping all of our sales and marketing to position Telesoftus as a virtual reality development company so that this person would have challenging job and would do what he likes. As, as, a, as, a, as a business, how do you decide out of these, these passions what is actually worthwhile pursuing and 
isn't just a passion that loses the company money or doesn't, you know, is actually something that's worth pursuing. What's interesting is like um, uh, it's uh, that it's not just individual passions. If the passion and all the desire and uh, um, idea is really good, uh, actually you get a lot of people around you. Mm-hmm. You get not only a, one person, but actually some people who are supporting it. If you have one passion, or just like some um, passion that never gonna happen, like I just want a pool in, yeah. in, in then. Uh, not much people are going to support you. Of course, some of them would support you just for fun, mm. but actually to have this like uh, um, innovation and actually leaving the value and getting recognition uh, as mm. professionals, this uh, would bring much more uh, strength mm. to your to your point. So actually, every single. Um, direction in business that we take is actually supported by quite a meaningful bunch of the organization. Mm-hmm. It's not just like individual passion. And some people may have many passions yeah. and they might have their own passion, but they like other person's passion as well. So they team up and join up and maybe later then, okay, we're starting a pool company. We're mm-hmm. going to make the best pools in the world with mobile apps. <laughs> maybe they and the pools are going to crystallize. Interesting. Oh no, So that would be uh, weighted, weighted yeah. influence, actually leaving an impact in the organization. And what does our management is actually uh, our management is just supporting all that like a primordial soup of ideas and DNAs are forming in within the uh, all employees of Telesoftus and our management is around holding that bubble of ideas (laughs) so I'm I'm as a chief executive and maybe like a a, owner or like the guy who started I might be like a a conduit I might be like I might be the guy who can voice the ideas of people who are not voiced Mm -hmm. there wasn't really one particular recipe that we could say that works or not but if there is one is that what Algirdas has created in a way and it really goes top down is this really psychological freedom to be whoever you want and to present of course we're all here professionals but if you have in these teams the psychological freedom what you get is the the teams themselves they can seize opportunities mm-hmm. what happens also people cling to the psychological freedom they want to be themselves and that's why this bubble expands so naturally and even if you're in San Francisco or if you're in Dubai the culture kind of transcends through the whole point of uh, of, of trust you know their human relationships simply liking others you know liking to work with others knowing that there is trust there is truth there is freedom we are not you know everything is based on this kind of level so I think that is why uh, even of all of the questions that you asked that was probably the connecting motive mm. the relationships and the trust that is how the Lesotos grew that is how you know they were out of business and then they were in business back because people just sort of 
are there always. Yes, actually, that's true. We are talking about the technological scene in Lithuania. It's also a bit, a little bit the same. I've noticed I worked in uh, in uh, advertising before here in Lithuania, but it's really different in technological scene because the connector side is that you really kind of very it's kind of a bit of a brotherhood Mm. more than in advertising which is competitive and in other scenes which are much more competitive it's common in most of tech I think usually because the the work and the jobs and the budget is there you're not really fighting too much for the same obviously you might take work off of each other but there's always other work if you don't get that one so Yeah, and from if you look from outside to a telesoftus organization, you might think that we're crazy, that we're trusting people too much. We're trusting complete strangers with complete uh, crazy projects, but actually it's not. Mm. It's because um, of these like uh, ideas. It's because we love those ideas, and it might look like uh, we may be too trusty. And, I mean, what is the next kind of step or challenge for the company? Well, as you know, like we want to have uh, we have a secret goal to expand our community all over the world and create like uh, the largest community of happy people around the world. Sounds like communism, <laughs> uh, oh, but uh, happy professionals. So yeah, that was Al Gires just talking about his attitude to letting staff follow passion projects. And maybe this is actually a very good point to jump into Game On conference, um, because this is a good example of one of those projects and how it's continued. So the Game On conference at Expo is for, uh, I guess I'm very old fashioned here, but I don't really know the right word anymore, video games. <laughs> I don't think anyone who plays modern video games even knows what a video is, but anyway, um, I actually have heard of this event because I, I dabble in the gaming industry and I've been on a mailing list of uh, someone here in Berlin who actually talks about it. And actually, interestingly, one of their new staff was a guy from Berlin, Florian. Um, we were still trying to track down if he was the only foreign employee or not, not 100% sure. He may well have been. Yeah. Um, but I think what, what was really interesting was talking about how the actual event had evolved. Yeah. Um, and this year, the, the priorities of it being, you know, a, a fairly big sp- um, content was about an indie developer showcase, mm-hmm. being able to showcase indie developers providing lots of strategic networking opportunities, press events, um, creative events as well, but doing it in a way that every year they tried to build on it. And mm-hmm. even just talking a little bit about how it evolves from a, a university kind of interest or passion project to something that was funded by Telesoftus. Actually, so let's cut to a few snippets of interview here. So this first uh, segment is talking about uh, how the event started and why its founder started it and um, what happened. So well, I'm Rydas Bushmanas and I'm here from Lithuania. Uh, I'm live, I live in Kaunas for from the very, very beginning. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I'm working on Game On Project. It's the biggest gaming convention in, in the Baltic region and I'm working on this project from the very beginning. So this is the fourth year now and yeah, I'm leading the team right now. 
and I'm Florian Masut from Germany. Uh, I moved here a few months ago uh, to be part of the Game On team. Uh, I've been working in the games industry for almost five years now, uh, in working with German indie studios. Uh, and I've branched out into doing events in Germany, and this is how I met Arturas, one of the guys from the Game On team. And uh, one thing led to another, and now I'm working on the Game On team. And when you say you say team, um, so how big is the conference right now? How big is the conference? Yeah. Uh, last year we had sixteen thousand people. Oh, she's okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. We also have to. We also have to add that uh, we're, we're the same conference, but it is actually a whole expo. Okay. So yeah. it, it, yeah. Uh, the conference is one part of it. Um, so we had 16,000 visitors last year, which is, it is a B2C showcase, mm, mm. Uh, mostly. Uh, so it was a two-day uh, event with 16,000 visitors last year. So I'm guessing it's profitable. Um, it, it, not so far. <laughs> no, okay, okay, but so it's new. It's this is just because every single year we are looking for new ways to, yeah. to replenish our event, to find something new in our event. So, for example, last year we did for the first time video games music concert, where it was performed live by the symphony orchestra and we played music uh, from games. Mm -hmm. So, this was like a concert uh, which. Well, it was extensive. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but but this this every single year we're looking for ways to, to, to make something new for the visitors. So yeah, so this year, for example, we are making uh, and, and focusing more on indie developers, on just to show more love for this area, and we are building an indie town. So this is where Florian is mainly working on. Yes as well as uh, we are more focusing on business sector and so we are having networking area this year as well. Well, we always had it, but it's never been official, so this time we're doing it official. And it's in, it's in Vilnius. Yes. yes, it's in Vilnius. And can, can, is, there, is there a challenge with 16,000 people in a reasonably small town? Or? Well, we're having challenges like this one. I would like to show you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is the uh, row and queues to the oh. event. This is a three, four hours queue. Oh, this is the entrance. And, well, oh my God. And, and, and it's. Yeah. What a mess. But just getting places so, for people to so stay. We, we are, we are yeah. facing these kind of problems, yeah. and like this year, we're trying to fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to also uh, note that the event uh, had such a big growth that right now we are uh, going. Uh, we are in Lit Expo, which is the biggest expo mm. hall of the Baltic region, yes. and uh, the event started out in smaller venues. And we, since 2016, it had to go to Lit Expo just because it's become so big that there's no other venue that mm. can fit us anymore. And yeah. What so, do you think is the reason yeah. that it expanded so quickly? That's my question. <laughs> so hugely. Yeah. Um, what happened? What did you do? What was your secret? <laughs> well, I, this is a dream. This is a, this is a thing that Rudas would have to answer. Yeah, so when I was, uh, I would say for four years ago maybe, I've been as, in university as a student. I was in a student's organization in Hossa. Uh I was studying IT. And uh, we've been having uh, one festival in, in a year. And one of those events in the festival, we had Lampard. So this is the place where people bring their own computers, and we can just show you yeah. how it looks like. 
I always love to show those. <laughs> I once went to PAX in Australia, and I do remember seeing them. Yeah. <laughs> so this is how it looks like here. Yeah. Uh, and then I was a student. Uh, it's been happening in university halls, uh, but I remember when League of Legends became popular here. Counter Strike Global Offensive came out, and streaming became popular and every single year it was growing so fast like double the amount of people coming to our events every single year and uh, it was one year when we been doing one party in university hall and it was a moment when we didn't have enough uh, tables because we've been using infrastructure for from equipment from university classrooms and we used all the all the tables we didn't have enough internet even electricity been disappearing it was such like wow. so many people there and uh, I knew that we have to move this Lampard to a different location so this was the first time when we did in a Puma sports hall uh, a legendary basketball venue uh, and uh, we moved to a party there and it was totally sold out back there and at the same year I graduated the university and we had a call from Siemens Arena which is the second biggest arena in Baltic region I think definitely in Lithuania mm -hmm. uh, and they said they they had been in some kind of arenas meeting and they saw that gaming is growing they saw that our arenas in Europe are filling up uh, with people and they decided to do it something like something here in the Queen. So they just called us and said, let's, hey, let's do something about it. And yeah, and we did. <laughs> and at first we thought that maybe we should do a long party, but then we understood that we need to do something new uh, and we decided that we need maybe... But you know, there's some still stereotype going on here at gamers, like sitting in the basement under the mom's house and doing nothing, just drinking, you know, co uh, cola and eating chips. It's <laughs> like, you know, unhealthy life. And so we thought that with game one, we need to educate people. Yeah. It's not true, so we decided to do a conference. Uh, How, what kind of support have you got? I mean, you've obviously got firstly a committed audience. Um, I mean, how have you been able to put this on? Like, these kind of events are a mammoth, clearly a mammoth undertaking. And um, I'm just curious, like, have people been doing side events or helping with fundraising or what's oh, been happening? So this is how it happened. Mm. Um, from the financial perspective, I would say, when I came here, when I when I was working, when I was a student, I was working on those lump art events as a student. But at the same time, I was uh, already working here in Los Altos as a programmer. Mm -hmm. I was coding Java here, and uh, you know, always gaming was my passion. And uh, it was the moment when I knew that uh, I was still as a student, as a fourth grade, and I wanted to move. Uh, because it was last year in the university, the same as uh, in the student organization, I wanted to do something big before leaving, and I, I saw that Lampardis are growing big in the university. I wanted to uh, to make it for the last time in a different uh, area. So I, I made it happen, but in order for this to happen, I need some support here because I had bachelor degree to, to defend, and uh, I need a few months to make this event, and I asked, uh, my director, CEO, Algirdas, who supported this idea. 
and he said just let's do it and he allowed me to do it instead of programming and she just saw this passion inside me and well he's a gamer himself he, he played starcraft so much and and after he saw this big event uh, after this event Zimentarina came to us and we just knew that we have to go there and he supported all the way so first year happened actually I was working with my colleague here so it was two guys of us working here but additionally we had so much support from outside from other people who've been all together with us uh, and uh, like we couldn't do without all the help of the community here and uh, after this event happened in Zeman Serena after we had to close the ticket sales after we saw so many people algorithms understood that we have to continue mm-hmm. this journey and mm-hmm. We had a deal that he gives us a bag of money in the beginning of the year, but with the condition that we have to bring it back in the end of the year after we make the event. So this is how we got this support uh, from Telesoftus, and yeah, so we are working here and getting a support. Yeah. So and we are doing our best to, to <laughs> get it back. <laughs> My music next year. One thing that was quite interesting was that the um, organisers were quite keen to dispel some of the myths about how gamers are are perceived, the idea of it being a bunch of men in a a basement eating chips, (laughs) drinking Red Bull and things like that and saying this is actually a a social activity, it's a public activity, we're bringing it out to a public space. There is a lack of opportunity for doing this, this is why our event is so popular. And they even spoke about the um, military being um, quite keen engagement uh, engages rather in the um, in the actual. Event. Apparently, this is common. I haven't been to enough gaming events to notice this, but apparently, this is quite common. I I guess they're good for recruiting the modern age of of, of mm. conflict where you don't have to be physically fit and just sit behind a screen. I True. Don't know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> okay. Um, now let's uh, discuss a little bit around some of the projects themselves. Um, one thing that came up time and time again, I don't know if this is just because this is what they wanted us to see or if it's because someone mm. Lithuania is particularly into, but um, at the Kaunas University and also in the offices, Kate got to try. I discovered my glasses don't fit VR goggles. Uh, Kate got to try lots of VR. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, I tried a couple of different applications. They were kind of gaming focused at the university. The first one was um, a rather strange game where you had to catch eggs. You, so you, when you put the glasses on, you could see a lot of chickens in a chicken coop, like cartoon chickens, not real chickens, obviously. And um, the eggs were dropping down very fast. And you had a, bar, a virtual basket, which you held a physical object, to, which was a basket, apparently. I couldn't see it, of course. It was and, indeed a basket with a controller <laughs> attached to it, yes. And you had to try and catch these eggs, these virtual eggs. And it was very, it was actually quite difficult um, because they, they all came at once very fast from different areas and uh, made very loud noises if you missed them. So I was sort of like, Ugh, every time you missed one. Uh, and the second application was um, a skiing exercise. And you stood on a little platform that moved. So you felt a movement as if you were skiing, perhaps. Um, a fairly rudimentary one. I had a little handle that you held onto so you didn't fall off. And you moved um, your body as though you were steering to ski I guess I've never been skiing so this probably my terminology is not quite correct and you were basically racing down a 
a hill, dodging trees and avalanches and gosh knows what else. And it was was quite a quite a very odd experience. I mean, my exposure to, to VR has been limited. I've done the roller coaster at my board congress. I'm sure some of you have done that as well. But this was quite a quite a fun experience, and you do get quite involved. And there's some really embarrassing photos of me. <laughs> trying it out but a lot of fun and my, and actually my, then the other one that i think you yeah. mentioned that was later at the office was the inner child which was super interesting that was my next one yeah, to mention yeah. yep the third one was actually a health related um, application which was actually targeting a psychological project targeting people with a fear of heights so what it actually involved was that of course you put the glasses on and some some um some wearable device, haptic devices on your hands to measure your um, telemetry. And basically you would go up on an ele- elevator and go out onto a top of a building, a skyscraper building, and walk out on a platform with, you know, the, the city around you. Um, Which was and, New York, and, I think. Yeah, it was New York, yeah. that's right. And you had to basically um, look out and respond to what you saw. And what what happened was this little cartoon, looks like an avatar, I guess, child popped up and was talking to you the whole time and encu- I guess encouraging you on. Um, firstly, I'm not really afraid of heights. And secondly, I found the child a bit disconcerting. So, so you were more disconcerting by the child than the heights. <laughs> yeah. So they'd be saying, you know, come out and look over here. And you could see, you know, fl- fl- um, birds flying overhead and planes and you know it's very it's very surreal and um so what it would be doing at the same time was measuring your your kind of your mm. physiological state and reaction to these stimuli um and the organ the creators told us that they do that you know they'd set it up with some psychologists and were using it as a therapeutic tool it was at the moment, it was ostensibly a marketing tool to show what they could do rather than being used in therapeutic, um, like selling it to, to health professionals or anything like that. But I think it was a really good way of showing some of the applications of, um, of VR beyond the gaming aspect mm-hmm. because we do, we do kind of get that feeling now that VR has been surpassed by AR. And I think this was quite good because you did get those levels of distraction um, from reality, if you like. So it made those, you know, those cases you hear of people being used, um, using VR in hospitals as distraction from painful procedures. It made that a lot more realistic in, um, in being able to understand how that could possibly work. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the thing that was interesting was talking to the, to the guys afterwards about it and sort of saying, you know, what are the responses of people who are scared of heights? And a lot, like when you were doing the game and you, you were going up in the lift, a lot of them couldn't actually get out of the lift once they got to the top of the building in the game, or they couldn't step out on the platform. Mm-hmm. Like they'd step out and walk back and just go, can't do it. So, you know, I guess it's that gradual exposure kind of thing, which is one of the, the therapeutic tools of um, uh, people with phobias and things like that, where you gradually expose someone to something. But it's super interesting. Yeah. And uh, actually, so one of the others we tried a bit later was through the Sneaky Box. And Sneaky Box are an award-winning digital creative studio. They focus on um, a few different things, but mostly sort of immersive solutions and experiences. And they work across uh, several different uh, verticals, aerospace, education, energy, engineering, manufacturing, and medicine. Quite a variety, uh, but quite interesting. Um, there was the Braille Watch, which was quite interesting. Yeah, so, that worked in... Yeah. 
in, in um, partnership with Dot, who do a Braille watch. The, the watch is basically has ra- obviously a raised dais of the little dots, and um, those uh, they move according to the time of day, obviously. Mm. Um, but I think they they're involved in the application mechanics, I guess, um, with it. They were also involved in the um, the Winter Olympics. Was it in Seoul? Yes. In yes, Seoul? it was. Yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had some really interesting stories about about that, which we'll, we'll share at some stage, mm. um, either in writing or in the show. Um, but it just, I think, the thing that that's kind of stuck out talking to them was that they were, you know, just a small a small group of people who started and were able to be successful. And there was a couple of other projects they showed us, uh, fairly broad gamut game development. Mm. Um, actually, uh, there was the solar plant planner as well, which yeah, was quite that was, interesting. that was interesting. And yeah. also, finally, I got to try a HoloLens. And uh, right. no insult to Sneakybox, because it's nothing to do with them, it's to do with Microsoft. But I was somewhat disappointed with the HoloLens, actually. <laughs> I found it very hard to to use and to focus on anything. It was very holographic, way more than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so I guess it's also interesting just to show that the, the company is experimenting with lots of, I don't know, I don't know if HoloLens is new anymore, but lots of new technologies all the time. Uh, the offices were full of uh, devices that have just arrived in boxes. <laughs> okay, so now we're just going to cut back to the interview with Algirdas and we're going to dig a little bit more into his motivations behind Telesofters and, and business in general, actually, his, his outlook on how businesses should be in the future. And then after we have listened to those, we will come back and we will wrap up just with our general thoughts on Lithuania and the uh, tech and startup scene there in general. It's an interesting uh, countries and companies that have have worked on some projects for other people for some time. We we found this actually interviewing people in Ukraine that um, it's it's you know it's a country that has done work for other people for a long time, but a lot of the developers especially were getting a little bored with it and wanted to do their own ideas and. Do you see this as maybe as a, a challenge for for your company or Lithuania trying to keep engineers interested in not pursuing their own passion projects externally? Mm, or I think, think it should be encouraged. Yeah. I think um, even um, some of our customers, like uh, I said right now, like the project in Bristol, mm. how it happened? Uh, it happened because uh, the owner, Garrett Williams, used to be a developer in a research area. He used to work for a company in Newbury, mm. but he decided to start his own company mm-hmm. And this is how we got customers. Same happening with... Uh, so you're not, you're not losing developers, you're gaining customers. We are gaining <laughs> customers. If you just look at it different way. So yeah, it should true. be encouraged uh, as much as possible. Yeah. I'm going to a board meeting now and we have um, a, a special project uh, with financing. Actually, um, the plan is to contribute 30% of uh, profit of Telesoftus annually especially to invest into the new companies. I have seen you. Yes. <laughs> but actually, this, I mean, this is a good segue. So, a, a very yeah. good segue of like, what do you feel the, the, I mean, sometimes the tech and startups can get a bit mixed together where they're not necessarily the same thing. 
but what's the entrepreneurial spirit like in Lithuania yeah. at the moment? Yeah, as you know, like ninety um, percent of Lithuanian GDP is a revenue from service business. Mm. It's from Lithuanians building mm. something for other people. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's a nature. Lithuanians are good workers, but they are not very good salesmen, and they're not very good like maybe product managers or mm. maybe not very good marketing experts. Uh, but we are getting there. We are getting there, and um, uh, we had like uh, only in 2009 we had 50 startup companies in the whole Lithuania, and now we have 500. <laughs> so it's uh, it's growing. It's yeah. growing. Of course, the uh, margin is still very very low uh, comparing to the revenues from the service. Mm-hmm. It's a minuscule amount uh, that we get from products, just because the Lithuanians are not used to it. Very similar to Ukrainians, maybe similar to all post-Soviet mm-hmm. countries, mm-hmm. as we only 30 years ago we didn't have any property, mm-hmm. not even intellectual property, but not normal property yeah. as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> we had no property at all, so we are learning a little bit <laughs> to have the property and to use the property. <laughs> the the thing that I always like to ask, especially with um, countries that people may not be so aware of, mm. is what would you say are the the biggest challenges and then the biggest positives to being an entrepreneur, running a business, whatever you want to address in Lithuania? Mm. I think the biggest challenge uh, when you're running uh, a business in Lithuania is um, to get uh, uh, to actually uh, overcome your own fears. Uh, even for Lithuanians, even for me, so I'm living in Lithuania since 1990, I still get, um, I had a very big challenge to overcome mistrust and actually a fear of being cheated as uh, there was several still some stories about Lithuania and about like uh, oh, not very fair business that is happening in uh, uh, post-Soviet Union countries and to overcome and to actually blindly uh, like um, to make a first step first like <laughs> if you're not gonna open up uh, Lithuanians are not going to open up. <laughs> but uh, if you are going to open up and Lithuanians are going to open up forward you, the next challenge would be to uh, like uh, hold, uh, hold the horses because then uh, Lithuanians would start to do a lot of new ideas, coding day and night and working so hard. So you just have to hold, hold a little bit and get a little bit more structure in your mind like uh, making a setting up and actually uh, um, empowering people so they can decide for themselves and um, enabling them so they can control their own time and their own uh, like a work schedule mm-hmm. that's the um, biggest challenge like the first mm-hmm. open up 
<laughs> then control was the results. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, um, what the good things are is, of course, uh, um, the feeling of uh, of this uh, welcome feeling when you find friends. Yeah. Uh, you find friends for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Actually, you don't find, uh, cannot see the boundary who is your employee and who is your friend anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you, it all gets the same. It becomes like a family mm-hmm. and it brings a lot of, a lot of satisfaction and warm feelings and every single achievement that your family is getting is becoming your own personal achievement. Your achievements are being very welcomed by your other family members mm-hmm. and you get this, as you know, this mass, mass low pyramid mm-hmm. like, uh, of values. Like, uh, yeah. one uh, basis, like, uh, of course, financials and basic needs and the upper levels would be the other cornerstones would be recognition and uh, uh, feeling of being valued so this is a big yeah. <laughs> I have one more question yeah, there, which is something that I will probably ask a lot of people mm-hmm. um, over the next few days is like what could the Lithuanian government the Lithuanian investors etc do better to make it easier to be an entrepreneur in Lithuania uh, of course, you you might you might expect me and to answer you. Just give them the money. Yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, actually um, not what you have. Like uh, you have heard, like uh, maybe in investment, you've heard uh, like um, uh, expressions like dumb money, smart money, mm-hmm. and uh, what well, I have an expression: love money, like uh, or. Passion and money uh, like you don't uh, of course um Absolutely, what would be bad is just to give money away to everybody. As well, smart money is whenever you understand the business and you can do it on your own. And many startups, they have so much ideas, mm-hmm. it's impossible to be a professional in anyone. However, um, what I wish for people to do is to identify and see those stars in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, see those sparkling eyes. And when you see those, you can give them the money because then you get the passion you see the passionate people and you see you feel their heart and you share maybe not technically but you share on the emotional level share the same idea and same passion like I want to conquer the world I want to get rid like uh, people of um, all like a phobias or maybe to treat people of alcoholism or I want to save people and I have a technology for that and I want to do this Mm-hmm. Like whenever the startups like to identify the passion and feel, uh, maybe not focus too much on uh, smart money and not too much focus on the pure calculation of like a dumb money, and uh, focus a little bit more on the hard feelings and on this passion, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe it will not bring you like one thousand percent of return on investment, but at least it's gonna. I'm gonna give you a good time. <laughs> so yeah, Kate. I mean, um, I guess we got this. This episode is sort of specifically around Telesofters, but I think it relates a lot to Lithuania itself. Uh, I'm actually got an article coming out very soon. It's more of my general perspectives of Lithuania, wrapping up the university trip, the Telesofters mm. trip, the login trip. 
but we might as well do it here in audio form. So what were your sort of overarching thoughts and themes on the trip? Yeah, I mean, a thing that I, I felt very strongly was that it was a country that we're kind of waiting for a big win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is common in lots of smaller countries in Europe. Okay, so I guess my feeling about Lithuania was that it was a country that was waiting for a big success, maybe like we saw with Estonia. So they hadn't really had had a, a, a startup or a, even a bigger company put them on the map. Mm. I think, and there were two things I thought were quite interestingly distinct as a country. Firstly, um, unlike other places we've visited in the, in the region where the tradition is people working remotely for companies that are situated elsewhere, maybe like um, America or something like that, by... Um, by contradiction, people were actually bringing their com- their companies to Lithuania mm. and setting up an office there. So they 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 saw that there was enough staff, there was enough skilled programmers, and even though the um, the university uh, graduation statistics were were actually quite low, I thought in the in the programming courses. Well, actually, so. Um yeah, I actually wanted to mention that thing. Like, I mean, to be honest with you, I did a computer science degree and uh, those numbers are actually fairly average. Uh, yeah. Computer science has a very high drop-off because a lot of people go, oh, this will be fun, this will be easy, and yeah. then they realise it actually involves maths and physics and oh, yeah. a lot more I agreed, agreed. complexity I mean, than, than students often think. So that's not unusual. I actually maybe, I'll, to, maybe I'll re, uh, re- what I'm trying to say, I guess, is yeah. that a lot of people, again, it may be a different notation than some of the other places where people do degrees, is mm-hmm. that people were getting career jobs while they were studying. So it wasn't yeah, like they were yeah, just doing yeah. a side project or something like that to put themselves through university or tutoring or something. They were actually getting a, a career while they were studying. And so therefore the impetus to keep studying when you could work full time wasn't as big. Um, so you could see that being a, a fairly logical reason why people weren't graduating and why yeah. they weren't going into, um, the, the senior, you know, your, your masters and PhD programs. And I could imagine that being a challenge in the future. Mm. Is it, I mean, this is, this is a wider discussion. Discussion yeah. um, that I don't think is unique to to Lithuania, actually. Oh, no. But the other interesting thing I'd like to mention is when we got there, they they were live streaming students defending their papers, which I found yeah. quite cool <laughs> onto on YouTube, and people onto were commenting YouTube. on them and stuff like that. Um, I guess I agree with you mostly. Um, I'm starting to wonder. Um, I, I've used this line myself about. Um, Smaller countries, especially needing big success stories to give them that confidence. I'm starting to wonder if that's not even possible anymore, especially yeah. in this current wave of kind of entrepreneurialism. Like if you look at Estonia, for example, they basically Skype, which is a fairly old company now. Yeah, that's true. Actually. And, um, transfer wise, they're yeah. basically the, 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 the two big successes there. Yeah. Good point. And then if you look at other European countries, it's actually very few. Um, and then it tends to be a lot of medium successes. So Lithuania has medium successes. Uh, NordVPN, who I'm a customer of, I didn't even realize they're Lithuanian. Datadog, which mm. are also fairly well known in certain sectors. Things like that. There's lots of companies like that, like mid-level. Um, Definitely. Moderately successful, as far as I can tell. I don't have access to the financials, of course. Mm. Companies um, which are kind of bulking out the... The, the spirit and the success and lots of the ones that we met that some of the interviews are out already. Some are coming, like, for example, Deeper, the, whose interview will probably follow this episode uh, next week. Um, so there's lots of those middling successes. 
And whilst and whilst uh, the the Skype success in Estonia has meant that ex employees have kind of dripped out into other companies to show them how it can be done, I don't know if that's as essential as maybe we think anymore. It's hard to say. Uh, I was yeah. curious about one thing, though. I know there are a lot of very skilled people in dev roles and programming and all that stuff, engineering. Yeah. But I wondered if there were enough people with the skills in business management, well, in marketing. In, yes. I don't was. know, legal. This, or this is something <laughs> that came up time and time again. I think it yeah. was actually in the, the interview with our Gudas as well. And yeah. it also came up with my interview with Infobalt, which was published a couple of weeks ago in that this is something that is actually common in Europe, full stop, mm-hmm. apart from maybe the bigger countries, uh, UK, Germany, France. Yeah. Um, this is a, a shortage in a lot of European countries, especially the ex-USSR uh, countries because they have very good engineers. Yeah. Um, but actually, again, as I think came up in some of the interview snippets, um, they're not so good with the other side of things because it was never part of culture to educate people on that. And That's it's right. only starting to change. And of course, you could argue whether that's good or bad, <laughs> but that's the one. Yeah, world. but it'll so, be interesting yeah. how they deal with that. Whether they um, there'll be you know degree courses um, or certificates locally, or, or whether there'll be more um, I don't know incentives. Yeah, to move the. I think so. Actually, this is this is my my roundup. I think my wrap up of this is that um, a lot of these small countries, uh, and this is actually going to come out in the article I'm currently writing that. Maybe published by the time this comes out. It somewhat depends on various people's timelines. It's hard to predict. Mm. Is that whilst big countries, especially in Europe and outside of Europe, are starting to shut down doors to foreigners, a lot of smaller countries are kind of keeping them open because they actually really need people. Mm. Um, but they struggle as well. Whilst bigger countries can put up barriers, but um, foreign workers will still come <laughs> anyway. These smaller countries actually are kind of the reverse issue in that yeah. they need people and it's hard to convince them to come. Um, and a few, a few come in, like we saw with Florian and, and some others, but it's actually quite hard to convince them despite all their efforts to encourage people and visa and uh, uh, bureaucratic requirements are fairly easy. Um, you're more of a novelty, you know, it may be harder in some respects for that, but also, you know, it's not like, oh, another blooming foreigner. It's like, oh, you're a foreigner. <laughs> so, so it's sort of a different perspective on these things, which is quite I think it would be a harder expat life, though, because of language barriers. They're, you know, I think Maybe the it's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting. It, it, it would be an interesting kind of thing to explore in a different perhaps a different show interesting place um again the small country syndrome is very helpful it makes people look outward from day zero it makes them flexible it makes them willing to change and try ideas because why not and then you can always reverse quite easily uh yeah one thing i'd add to that was one thing i felt very strongly is that the companies were um more pragmatic about the notions of competition that you'd see in a bigger city, like people or country for that matter, people would actually say, well, yeah, we're small. We have to compete with other countries and regions. So we work collaboratively. You know, we, we send, we, we, we pass work onto each other. We pass clients. We, we support each other with deals internationally. And it was quite a healthy attitude that you don't always see in, in, in some cities. Yeah. 
All right, then. Well, let's wrap up this show, Kate. Yep. Um, thanks again to Telesofters for sponsoring the trip for us. I had a, a very interesting and positive time. Definitely. Um, and uh, we mean that. Actually, interestingly, I purely by chance uh, encountered ex-employees and clients of Telesofters who <laughs> confirmed a lot of what we had witnessed. So that's good. <laughs> so that was that was that was good. Um, if you have enjoyed the show, you can find show notes and previous episodes at gregariousmammal.com slash podcast. You can support the show with donations or buying merchandise at gregariousmammal.com slash support. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash gregariousmammal. How can the people stay in touch with you, Kate? To get in touch with me, you can have a look on my website, katelawrence.com. That's Kate with a C, Lawrence with a W. Or you can catch me on the Twitter, <laughs> which is at Kate underscore Lawrence. Kate with a C, Lawrence with a W. <laughs> and I am christianchiller.com or at christchidge on Twitter. Um, we will speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.